Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello and welcome, or even welcome back, I should say, to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a look ahead to some of the events that are going to be moving markets and shaping investment decisions over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means an update on what we all need to know as Britain prepares to leave the European Union, when the Bank of England might start to raise interest rates, and that leads us neatly on to the forthcoming meeting of the US Federal Reserve. To help us make sense of it all, I'm joined by Bruno Waterfield, the Times correspondent in Brussels, and here in the studio by Tom Knowles, our economics correspondent, and Marcus LaRue, the trade correspondent of the Times. Uh, welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, Bruno, if we could start with you, and uh, let's just listen to a clip here from the EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker. This is his recent uh, annual State of the Union address to the European Parliament. Uh, this is what he had to say. March, March 29th. 2019. That will be the date where the, Europe, where the United Kingdom will leave the European Union. This will be a very sad and tragic moment in our history. We will always regret this, but, and I think that you will regret it as well soon, if I might say. Nonetheless, we have to respect the will of the British people. But we are going to make progress. We will keep moving. We will move on. Because Brexit isn't everything. It's not the future of Europe. It's not the be-all and end-all. Bruno, what are we to make of that? Is it a fond farewell or is it a sign of troubled times ahead, really, for Britain in particular? Well, I think you've got to put yourself in his shoes. Um, you know, his, 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 this is a guy for the EU. is his his lifelong project, it's, he, he described it as, earlier on during a speech as being like a passionate love affair, always disappointing, but you never lose your love, is, is how he, he put it. So from his point of view, um, he has to believe that Britain will regret um, being si- inside the European Union. And when you know, Michel Barnier talks about people learning the benefits of customs union, that exciting, joyful concept, and uh, the single market... Um, after Brexit, they'll learn what they really mean. That's, again, the same, the same kind of viewpoint. They have to believe that when Britain uh, leaves, there will be regrets over some of the new um, obstacles and barriers that may or may not be placed uh, in Britain's way when Britain is outside um, these legal uh, structures. He was uh, today on, on Euronews debating uh, rather woodenly 
uh, with some young uh, YouTubers who all looked to be about seven years old. Um, and he said that he had no hard feelings. It wasn't about revenge and he wanted the future relationship to be uh, a good one. So, yeah, I think there's an element of people would really like and uh, the British have always got on everyone's nerves by being rather cynical and transactional about the EU. They would like the Brits to one day sort of get on their knees or, or to uh, deliver a heartfelt plea saying, oh, we've really regretted uh, leaving, we miss you, and miss, we miss these wonderful institutions, can we come back? I don't think it was really sort of uh, motivated by any kind of vengeful feeling. I think he was sincere uh, when he spoke of his regret of, over what he calls the tragedy of Brexit. It always always strikes me, Bruno, that there's a, an element of lost in translation when, when Juncker or, or Barnier says, um, or, or, or Macron says, uh, Britain can't be allowed to cherry pick, can't be allowed to be better off outside the, the single market and the EU than it, than it was inside. What they seem to be saying to the European audience um, is Britain becomes a third country. It's simple. They've chosen to leave. There are repercussions. And what Britain quite often hears, by contrast, is we will punish you for having the temerity to to leave. And I suppose there is a, a fine distinction between those two uh, those two positions, but a real one. I think a lot of it is the, 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 the sort of Remainer contingent uh, in Britain would quite like the voters to be punished um, for having the temerity uh, to vote against the great and good. So they always hear that punishment aspect in, in, in comments, whether it's by Macron uh, or Juncker. It's, it's interesting, uh, certainly on the economics front, um, you know, the Eurozone is looking now like the girlfriend that you split up with thinking that you get off better on your own and and then you you see in a shopping center and she looks amazing and you're in you know your pajamas or something i mean gdp growth in in the eurozone was up 0.6 percent in the second quarter whereas the uk was the lowest of anywhere in the european union at 0.3 percent unemployment's down to the lowest since 2009 Italy still considered the sick man of Europe posted growth at 0.4% for three consecutive quarters, which is the first time that's happened since 2010. Spain's doing well. France is booming with Macron, or, or at least to begin with. So I think that's another thing that, you know, there's also this kind of sense that perhaps Eurozone is suddenly doing better at just as we're starting to dwindle. So I guess that, that adds this sentiment of, of feeling like you know, wondering whether people made the right decision or not. There's a leave equivalent of the, the, the phenomenon that Bruno highlighted, which is, you know, some Remainers seem to want to see Britain falter so they can, you know, smugly say, uh, I told you so. The other side of that is, are the leavers who confidently predicted that there'd be a run on the European Union, that there'd be a wave of populist revolt? And we heard Nigel Farage say yesterday, after Juncker's speech that, oh no, the populist wave hasn't subsided, it's only just beginning and there's still this desire to see the whole European project and especially the Eurozone crumble when the data, at least for the moment, looks like it's pointing in the opposite direction. I don't know if, 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 that, if that bears out with what you see slightly closer to European matters, Bruno. I think I would, I would be uh, cautious about the, the complacency in the Eurozone at the moment. They, are, they have got some good metrics and it's about time too. I mean, it's also the the uh, fact that Eurozone recovery trailed uh, every other region of the world after the financial crisis. At the, the last summit in June, they, they had a rather, a rather enthusiastic discussion about how well the Eurozone was doing, and they were all sitting around the, the summit table with a sort of rather post-coital glow. Um, and Mario Draghi, who's very abrasive sometimes, um, basically uh, told them uh, or tried to strip uh, the, the rosy spectacles from their eyes by saying that actually... 
and there are problems with productivity. A lot of the jobs are of a lower quality than the jobs that they replaced and, and lower uh, wages too. Um, that investment rates are not good, that there are still far too many non-performing loans uh, in Eurozone banks. And he basically castigated them um, and told them that unless they got their act together and it actually improved the underlying trends in Europe's economy, that the Eurozone uh, sort of glow would fade, um, particularly with the taper of quantitative easing that we're expecting sometime this autumn into next year. And it's a fair point that if Germany and, and France and perhaps Ireland are, you know, lying in bed puffing on a Galois, uh, then, you know, Greece and, and, and Italy are sort of falling over by the door trying to get their shoes off. You know, it's not a, a homogenous picture across the Eurozone by any stretch, is it? No, I think it isn't. And I think, and I think a bit like Britain, I think, I think Brexit sort of strips away some of the uh, illusions um, that people had um, in the British economy, the great British miracle by drawing out and highlighting some of its underlying problems. And the people who I talk to, much more hard-headed people around the ECB, but also in the Commission as well, are, are still very much alive to the fact that, yes, they're, they're going for a good moment and that they do still have these underlying problems. And a lot of the structural reforms that have been urged as absolutely critical, not uh, just in the economy, but in the banking sector, well over the last 10 to five years, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those reforms still not yet been uh, implemented or even agreed. So, you know, I, I, I think there's still some hard debates to be had in the Eurozone, and I think we will see some of those um, emerge after the German elections uh, at the end of this month. Do you think, though, Bruno, this idea about economic reform and how Mario Draghi has laid it on the line, the first president of the ECB, Wim Duisenberg, always said that, is there any sign of progress? He said structural reforms must be implemented in each individual Eurozone economy. We haven't seen a great deal of that, have we, since, since it was formed? Um, no, we haven't. And, and I think, you know, possibly as, as in, in other areas of the world, you know, quantitative easing has, has allowed people to uh, avoid the issues that they were supposed uh, to confront. And actually, again, that has been, uh, as with probably all ECB presidents, but it's been a constant refrain from uh, Draghi, who has actually acknowledged some of the concerns of the Bundesbank, uh, for example, that QE would, would, would help governments avoid uh, difficult decisions. Um, so I think whatever happens uh, with the Eurozone, I, I, I think it will uh, carry on to do well over the, uh, over the, next, uh, over the next year, although it is very dependent on headwinds elsewhere. Um, I do think some of these debates, much more hard-headed and much more realistic debates are going to come uh, come to the fore. That kind of takes us back to Monsieur Juncker, doesn't it? I mean, in the sense that if there if there does need to be more banking un- union, more more monetary union, um, some kind of political, you know, in- institutional arrangement to to back up the eurozone, then it's kind of easier to do with um, without the UK in the room and without a very large economy sitting outside uh, outside the eurozone. Possibly. I mean, I, I, again, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. And it'll be interesting to uh, see how the relationship between Angela Merkel and Emmanuel uh, Macron um, sort of pans out. I mean, so far, they've sort of kissed a bit, but they haven't really sort of got into bed with each other um, in terms of making a sort of uni- a unified set of Eurozone proposals. So we'll see. I think, again, people are waiting to see how that pans out. Will it be the case that, that Britain being outside the EU makes the Eurozone 
uh, any easier uh, at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think, I, th- I think the jury's completely out on that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Well, before we move on from that kiss between uh, Angela Merkel and uh, Emmanuel Macron, let's uh, move on to uh, one of the keynote events that's going to happen in the coming days is, of course, the US Federal Reserve's monthly meeting, followed by Janet Yellen's press conference. Tom, I'm going to ask you first for your thought, but let's listen to a clip of the last time the Fed chairwoman updated the markets when she gave her semi-annual testimony on Capitol Hill in July. It appears that the recent lower readings on inflation are partly the result of a few unusual reductions in certain categories of prices. These reductions will hold 12-month inflation down until they drop out of the calculation. Nevertheless, with inflation continuing to run below the committee's 2% longer-run objective, the FOMC indicated in its June statement that it intends to carefully monitor actual and expected progress toward our symmetric inflation goal. Tom, um, as steady as she goes, but I suppose what we all really want to know is uh, how likely is it that the US Federal Reserve are going to raise rates again this year? 
Mm, I was I was just slightly almost distracted by how great Janet Yellen's accent she is. is. It's such a brilliant accent, isn't it? Yeah. I think I just pinned her down. She's a, she's a female Woody Allen if Woody Allen didn't yes. have jokes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But you know, dealing with the most powerful economy in the in the world rather than director movies is perfect. <laughs> um, it looks like they will continue to with their plan to hike interest rates in December. Even though inflation is, you know, struggling to push up jobs, employment is is nearly full in America. Um, and, and and recently we just had actually the the latest uh, inflation measure for the for the US, but in the Consumer Price Index, and that rose by 0.4 percent compared with the previous month, and 1.9 percent compared with a year earlier. So that was a bit better than perhaps some were expecting. So I think they will just you know carry on steady as she goes. Um, Jan Yellen is possibly not going to be replaced as chair when she steps down next year. It's up to Trump. Um, she's also lost Stanley Fisher, who was like a very keen ally of hers. Um, a couple more Fed members have, have stepped down. So what's going to be quite interesting is Trump will have quite a big say in how he sort of models the US Federal Reserve. So that, that's also something to look out for. But I think, yeah, December, we can expect another hike in rates. Uh, Bruno, over there, I mean, there's not a dissimilar dilemma, is there? You, you've touched on it already with the European Central Bank. They're going to have to take away all that lovely lolly and start making us all see sense. Looking at the two people that we've just talked there about, Trump's interference, the political interference in the Fed, is it the same situation with the ECB or do you feel there's a bit more continuity there? Um, I feel I think there is continuity. Things are going quite well as we were talking about. So I don't think the knives are out for um, the ECB uh, and Draghi at all at the moment, very much um, the opposite. There are going to be some, some difficult choices. I mean, European uh, governments, indebted European governments, have, have saved around a trillion in financial costs due to the uh, QE. Most of them are still in deficit, as Draghi would say. Most of them haven't uh, carried out the reforms they were supposed to. So can they take... A, a rate rise? Can those governments absorb uh, a 1% increase in rates, for example? And can many European companies as well? So it brings us back again, I think, to uh, a discussion about some of those underlying uh, trends, uh, falling rates of in public investment, for example, uh, in Germany that are a, a, a source for concern. I suppose one of the one of the big differences between the two situations is that in the states you have fiscal policy that's poised for a big expansion with Donald Trump ready to, well, at some point get around to spending a trillion dollars in infrastructure and cutting cutting taxes, despite you know Steve Bannon having exited stage right. Um, whereas in the eurozone in in, in the EU, um, there's little sign of, of Germany putting its hands in its pockets and spending on infrastructure that you know the sort of the deficit aversion um, and the the version to spending public funds in, in, in Germany is dragging down the rest of the, the European economy and hindering this transition from extraordinary, you know, extraordinarily loose monetary policy to something that's a bit more normal and a bit more balanced between fiscal and monetary policy. Tom, do you think, I mean, looking at it as the economics correspondent, that either side of the Atlantic, if you like, or looking into the continent, that at the moment we are all living in a fool's paradise. And however much money you pump in at the end of the day, if we can't either in Europe, Britain or America be self-sufficient, we are still storing up trouble for ourselves. And interest rates and monetary policy can only do so much. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I think, you know, the, these are very useful, powerful tools that that are, are bought out in 
emergency uh, periods. And I guess the problem is, are, are we keeping them these emergency tools for too long? Uh, there's an argument to say that the you know the negative interest rates for that the ECB installed have, have done a huge amount of good, but perhaps quantitative easing is a bit of a false premise. I mean, it, I think it's actually very very difficult to control you know how inflation works and to push it up towards just under two percent as the ecb always wants it to be which they've they've struggled with so far so and, and not being helped by the euro uh, massively appreciating at the moment but no i i think it, it is useful i mean you know going on to the bank of england this is another question what happens if we put interest rates up a little bit i i don't think uh, consumers would be that bothered but if it's if they start hiking it massively then that could cause real problems especially for young people presumably who it's almost like a generation have never known an interest rate rise now yeah um young uh, people like yourself tom like myself yeah i'm trying to when when was it when was the last time they raised interest? There, all right it was Let's about a decade there. ago wasn't it yeah so, uh, so yeah I was I was at university. I mean, a recession didn't really affect us. We were all poor as students, so you know you hardly you hardly knew what was going on. Bruno, a final thought from you. I mean, I'm going to ask each of you, but looking ahead to the final quarter, if you're an investor, are you confident, cautious, or just downright scared? I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be hiding my head under the uh, covers, but I really would be hoping that some of these big uh, economic questions, uh, the underlying trends, are confronted. Uh, particularly over the next year. And I would be worried, and not so much as an investor, but as a, a citizen, uh, a voter, uh, and a member of society in, in, in Britain or elsewhere, at the very, very negative trends in wage uh, growth, which uh, are, are bound up with productivity uh, questions. I do, really do not see that it is sustainable for any uh, of the economies in Europe or Britain to have these, these levels of, of declining share of uh, income for people who who make wealth i think that's going to be a really 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 big question um in the year to two years ahead marcus i i would be on the pessimistic side i mean the the way i think of it is you know that that the british economy is like a you know one of these uh, circus acrobats swinging from one line to another and for the last year it's been clinging on to consumer spending which is about to start tapering off thanks to thanks to Brexit and exchange exchange rate weakness. Um, and everybody's assuming that it will seamlessly glide on to the other rope, which is, uh, you know, which is, which is export growth and, you know, some modest revival in, in British manufacturing sparked by the same decline in, in sterling. We haven't seen many signs of that happening in any meaningful, meaningful way. Um, and there's a lot to make up for. Um, so I, I, you know, any stall in the pickup for uh, for exports of services and or goods represents a pretty unpleasant gap where um, consumers are too under the cosh um, because of Bruno's uh, squeeze on real uh, real wages, which is returning, um, um, and, uh, and 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 business spending isn't picking up the picking up the pieces. I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. There's been a lot of surveys recently from the CBI and Purchasing Managers Index, which has suggested that manufacturers are having the best conditions they've seen in years, and they keep reporting these rise in exports. And that's 
uh, coming into the official figures a little bit more slowly, but it does seem to be picking up. And uh, yes, obviously, it can't replace uh, consumer spending, which is and, and the UK's dominant services sector, which is a much bigger component of our economic growth. But um, I, I think there's some there's some positives, perhaps. And even if if manufacturers just decide to uh, charge more for their goods rather than make the most of the slump in the pound and, and export more, that, that still contributes to their profits, which still contributes to GDP. So, um, yeah, a little bit more positive. But I, I agree with Bruno on wages. This is something that is baffling economists across the Western world, but especially in the UK. You know, we, we're reaching the highest employment we've ever had on record, unemployment of 42-year low, and yet real wages are still falling. And I, this this looks like real trouble ahead if, if that doesn't change soon. I know how you feel. Watch out for financial updates uh, scheduled from Finsbury Food, Shield Therapeutic and others. And of course, the US Federal Reserve decision. You can find out about that and uh, all the other news and analysis online, your phone and your tablet. And don't forget the paper. If you'd like to become a subscriber, you can always sign up at thetimes.co.uk and then you'll receive our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins from Richard Fletcher, the business editor. If you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes and please feel free to post your comments. We'd love to hear from you. My thanks to Bruno Waterfield in Brussels, Tom Knowles and Marcus LaRue here in London. They are on Twitter, so please do follow them. And join us again next week. Thanks for listening. 